Hello everyone, and we are back again, three semi-wise men, and today I'm joined by Curtis Wurstick, Wade Holmes, and Wade's back. Wade's Yay, back I'm back. Missed one podcast, but he's back. And we're getting right ready, getting right ready, getting right, start, ready. <laughs> getting right ready, to start a new series. That's right, we're going to do a series now, people, so we can get even more in-depth and blow your minds even more. Ooh, yeah, we're getting tired of saying every week that we just couldn't go into enough detail because we didn't have enough time, so we're going to split it out over a period of few podcasts now. Yeah, so we're going to start our first series on the Kingdom of God, or also known as the Kingdom of Heaven. Interchangeable terms. Kingdom of God, Kingdom of Heaven. So we may use both, we may use none of them, but if we use none of them, then we're not talking about the Kingdom of God. Then why are we here? I know. <laughs> Alright, so I wanted to start off with a little bit of like like no a little bit of the connotations of the word heaven now kingdom of god is something that we speak more of within the church but heaven is a, like a universal term lots of people whether they're christian or not christian or of different faiths have a a viewpoint of what heaven looks like and a few of them are saint peter is going to be standing at the pearly gates with the book of life and checking to make sure your name is in the book of life so you can get into heaven and to get into heaven you have to have lived a good life um, it's up in the clouds, there's the pearly gates, the streets of gold, uh, some of the place you go when you die, and if you're a good person. And these are some of the connotations. Now the pearly gates and the book of life and the streets of gold are all come from Revelation chapter 21. It's a long kind of chapter, but it mentions the fact that there are streets of gold, um, there's giant gates, and it mentions the book of life in there. So that all comes from there. Um, up in the sky comes from the Greek word for heaven, means both the skies and the dominion where God lives among other creatures. So there's some kind of little background information. What are your thoughts on these connotations of what we have on heaven, whether you agree with them or whether you disagree with them? I think that, like, um, our traditional view is sort of skewed, but basically the best description I have is from Revelation 21. And so I've... we. I don't know what you think. Do you associate heaven with the new Jerusalem that's talked about here? That, yeah? Okay. Yes. Perfect. Then um, I was just actually going to just read the chapter because I thought it was a great chapter. Yeah, you can read it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to just read it. I just didn't want to read it. All right. You can read it. Huh? I didn't want to read it, but you can read it. I, I, I loved it. I read it today. I was like, man, this is so awesome. This I'm just going to read it. So, all right, starting at the very beginning. Then I saw the, a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who had, was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To who, him who is thirsty, I will give the gift to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my sons. But the cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of 
printing sulfur. This is the second death. One of the angel, seven angels who had the seven bowls of the full, full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride and the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It was, had great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out with square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. I don't know what that is. And as wide as and high as it is long. He measured the wall and it was 144 cubic thick by man's measurement which the angel was using. The wall was made of pure of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city wall were the thick decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, and the eleventh... <laughs> I'm sorry if I got these wrong. The eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Oh, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was made of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the, its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the King of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but the, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There we saw Streets of Gold book of life allowing you to enter in um it's coming out of the sky so that's where people think it's up in the sky mm. now giant gates giant gates made pearls and other gems would be um, quite the sight to see would yeah. be so all of these are in there so um is this how we vision like if we were to die today is this um where we're going you think well there's got to be a good amount of truth behind it, because that's one of the few glimpses in the Bible where we get a little, a literal vision of heaven. But I imagine a lot of it is catered to the mindsets of the people of that time. Like a giant gate, especially when tribes would be attacking a lot, would keep you, make you feel safe. Along with the streets of gold, gold was a rare commodity only for the rich. It would make you feel wealthy. And the idea that heaven was above us was a literal thing. They thought it was like literally above them. That um, would just show the difference between where they are now and where they're going to be. I imagine it would end up being... It's a tough thought because you can't you can just you can't even really ballpark what heaven's going to be like other than amazing and free of sin. Mm. 
But even that in its own is just the perfect place to be. Just the freedom from sin. Yeah, I think that's what it's going to be like. I think it. I think he's he's trying to use human terms to describe something that's mm-hmm. more glorious than he yeah. he can describe. And so he's he's just going, okay, well, it's like gold that is so clear and gl- that you yeah. can almost, almost see through it. And like he knew it was so amazing that he was trying to put it in a term that would make sense to the people listening yeah. to him. So he just lists like just 12 different types of gems yeah. just so you can go like, okay, every gem, like I don't even know what half these gems are. Like I just, I said that <laughs> really? for the very first time today. <laughs> you play much of the Jewel Blitz. Yeah, no, I don't play it at all. <laughs> I don't know, my thing was in the uh, 21.1 when it said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, you mean for the right now? Yeah. I mean for the right now is what I'm asking. Since this place is descending from the clouds uh, onto earth, and this is the new Jerusalem, is this how we can view the kingdom of heaven being now? Like if we die, draw our spirit, go up to the new Jerusalem that's sitting up on the clouds right now. So you're asking, would we be aware of our spirit going into heaven? I mean, upwards position? Or am I just taking it too literally? <laughs> We're now no. we're getting now we're getting to uh, um, what's that word study of the end times and stuff <laughs> study of the end times. Well, yeah, the end times is when it's coming. Yeah, coming down. This is a, a picture of when God is fully bringing His kingdom to to the earth and His dominion. Um, my thought is that it gets to the, it's the common thought that if you're a good person and you die, you go to heaven. Well, what does that mean like because our vision is now is we're going up to heaven to the pearly gates where St. Peter is standing mm-hmm. there and saying oh your name's in the book of life because you lived a good life so come on in well, we won't be standing before St. Peter no <laughs> we'll be standing before God himself Jesus we'll be talking to God and then before his judgment seat and he'll just declare innocent <laughs> or righteous or well have you guys not. ever seen that it's a bit of a comedy sketch about that exact scenario but um, a bunch of people are coming up to heaven, and it is St. Peter's, so let's just say it's St. Peter's for this sake. And the guy's going through, and they all, you've had a bad life, sorry, right, you're going down. All, you've had a bad life going down. And the guy comes up, who's like, the only things he's ever done in his life is like, missions work, help people, blah, blah, blah. And he's only had like one week in his life where he did a couple bad, made a couple bad decisions. So he still goes straight down. And a guy walks up, and he has like a whole long list. And Jesus comes up to St. Peter, just stops him with his hand, takes the list, adds it to his own pile. And the guy's like, oh, you're good. Like, head on in. I imagine it'd be like that with God. It'd just be you and God and Jesus in the room. And if you deny Jesus in your life, he wouldn't be taking taking your life for you. He wouldn't be taking your sin for you. But if you have, Jesus is there to take it. So your entrance, so your way is already paid. That's how I would envision it. And I, I don't know if I could say I envision it in a certain setting. Because, I mean, God's a judge. You could imagine it in a courtroom type setting or however you could look at that. Whether the... What do you want to call it? The gavel's made out of clouds. <laughs> what are <laughs> the gavel's made out of clouds? It doesn't make a very Whoosh. loud noise. <laughs> it makes giant thunderbooms. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough thought because you can't really envision heaven in that sense because it's going to be more amazing and beautiful than you could even imagine. Even that moment where you just meet with God and your life is brought before you. I think that's what the start is going to be. Just that mm-hmm. meeting with God and just get a chat with Him for that period. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that you brought in this exclusivity of the fact that it 
it's necessary for Jesus, not just a good life. Well, because good is honestly relative in a lot of different ways. Mm. Different cultures, different societies, different times in history can tell you that certain actions were deemed morally correct, even though they may not be today or they may not have been before that. So, yeah. It's hard to say what good really is. I mean, looking after widows and orphans in distress, like the Bible says, that's one of the best things you can do. But, and I'd say that's almost universal. But still, a lot of things are not as black and white as they seem. So we've uh, <coughs> given a picture of what we believe heaven will be like when we die. But if we look at one of the beginning ministries, or Jesus' entrance into ministry, he says, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what is Jesus saying when he says the kingdom of heaven has come near? Okay, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Luke 17 for my answer to this question. 17 verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisee when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, "The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will he say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you." And I don't think he was maybe necessarily talking about the Pharisees, but when people and when people except Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the kingdom of God is entering in them. And so mm -hmm. wherever they go, that's where the kingdom of God goes. And that's where God's presence goes and his rule and reign goes with that person. Yeah. Like I broke it up into two different kingdoms. I broke it up into the kingdom of heaven, which is where we go after we die, where we're going to be. And then the kingdom of God, which is living inside of us now. So when I looked at it like that, for me, it made a bit more sense because then it's just, it's the idea that Yes, there is this place we're going to afterwards, but there is what we're doing now and what God is going to use us for now. Yeah, I think, I mean, judging, well, by the term that the Greeks, the word they use for heaven, um, not just only meaning the skies, it's the skies, or it means the place where God is living amongst men. And so thus the kingdom of heaven makes sense in what, with what Curtis says in that, it's because God is dwelling within our hearts. So he's now living. Our hearts are like heaven now because he's dwelling amongst us uh, in our hearts. Um, but way it's uh, splitting in kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God and thinking that there's one afterlife and the one present, I think is, can be helpful as, as well. Did you just read Luke 17, 20, and 21? Yes, I did. Oh, yeah, that was the verse I was going to use too, okay. so that works. <laughs> there you go. So Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Mean, meaning that it wasn't near before. Um, what kind of connections can you see with the kingdom of God being in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is there anything that you <laughs> observed in your studies? Uh, from what I can tell, the Old Testament really represents what God's, like the Israelites in the Old Testament represents God's physical, what a God's physical kingdom would look like. So if you, mm. like when he actually ruled a, a nation and he set the laws and he ran the government and decided and put people in place, he went, this is what, this is how I would do things and this is the things I've put emphasis on and this is the things I've cared about in the laws. And so he obviously things that he, in the laws he cares about um, justice for the poor and, and those in need and and those who have, being wronged, he cares about justice for those people and, and 
and punishment for people who've done the wrong against them. And he cares obviously about sin. You see that clearly in the Ten Commandments of do not lie, do not steal, do not um, commit adultery and stuff. And he also, you also see the, what God cares about in in the people he set up. So he set up judges who would judge justly on God's behalf because God obviously cares about justice and the prophets to proclaim his word, to proclaim his heart for the his nation and what he wanted for our, um, the direction he wanted the nation to go and the priests to continually have be reminded of the Levites that God would... Um, that God cares intensely about sin issues, and so that's why He set up so many different sacrifices and stuff. Is not because they could take away their sins or undo their wrong they did. It's because He wanted to keep that forefront of of their minds as they're doing stuff wrong all the time, and God's willing to look overlook that all the time. And so it translates into the New Testament. Uh, kingdom of God, which is a more spiritual kingdom of God. There's no physical co-location where you can go, okay, that's where all the Christians are. Like, maybe people could say that was the Vatican, but, or, uh, yeah, wherever. Is that? Whatever your holy city. Like, yeah. The Vatican is Catholics, and then there's Mecca for Muslims. Yeah, but really, there isn't a, there isn't a specific designated place, and really, and some would even argue that Vatican tends to, <laughs> be, anyway, uh, <laughs> issues with Vatican. Bring <laughs> um, a new pope in for that one. Yeah, and so, and so now it's a spiritual route. And so, when you want to see what God's heart is for things, you you look towards Jesus. What does Jesus care about? And and obviously, one of the big things is Him on the cross. And when you look at the cross, you see His sacrifice, and you see the sin. You see all our sins laid upon Him. And so, um, and then obviously, we're following Him as a king now. He's the king. He's our. We don't have like a physical ruler, that king that rules over us. We have Jesus as our king, who we follow and obey, and that's sort of what it means when it says the kingdom is with you, is we're obeying Jesus as king. So, when you think of the kingdom of heaven, do you imagine it to be like how God was in the Old Testament then? So, like where he's he's in the lives of these people, and he's the one who's setting all the rules and the laws. Do you imagine heaven to be like that? Yeah, except okay. it's perfect. Except not perfect. He won't need to be like setting all these rules because everything's already. Gonna yeah, be we'll we'll just want to live for him and please yeah. him all the time anyway. So okay. the laws technically still exist, but they're not. <laughs> they won't be like written down. They're and just there. Nobody. They, he doesn't them. need judges to go and go around and um, judge people. He doesn't need the prophets. Like it says in First Corinthians thirteen, those things will cease to exist because everything's made complete, and we just want to mm -hmm. serve God. We want to live for God and and. I don't, and I believe that heaven will be a place where we can serve and live for God and it won't just be a place where we're just floating around in the sky or we're just sitting around in a room worshipping oh, yeah. God for hours and then we'll be oh. actually living for him. That'd be so boring. Yeah, I think Somebody just described it to me as like playing a harp on a cloud and I'm like, man, I don't even like clouds or harps. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I see heaven. <laughs> if I'm on a cloud, I hope it's shaped like a T-Rex. <laughs> I think um, that vision of of God being like a straight ruler in heaven or when when his his creation is complete. It's like in the Old Testament he's speaking through a prophet or whoever and then he's like the leader, well the surrogate leader of, of God and God's speaking through him and all the laws are coming through him because of sin that we've been separated from God that this is the only way he can speak to the people. He can't speak directly to the people. 
uh, except for this one person who keeps doing purification laws so that he can meet with God. And then once he reestablishes his kingdom, then it's the people who have accepted Jesus' sacrifice that Jesus has cleansed. And since now they're seen like Jesus as being perfect, they are able to hear directly from God. So there's no need for that surrogate leader anymore because your leader is God and you can hear from him because you've been rectified to be able to hear from him. Mm-hmm. And even in the Exodus, the people tell Moses, don't let God come and speak to us directly because mm-hmm. we'll die. And then later on, Moses is speaking to God and God says, they're right to say this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like just read that verse today from my school. Oh, yeah. Actually, and I was thinking, this is awesome. Like, they're like, so yeah, you go up, you go into the fire, you talk to God, come back and tell us what God says and we'll do it. Because if he talks to us, we're going to die. <laughs> and then yeah. God's just like, yeah, I heard what the people said to you and they're, and they're right. And if their hearts could be like this always, then it will be well with them. Mm. And of course their hearts aren't always like that. Moses mm. goes up into the cloud to talk to God <laughs> and they decide to make a golden calf. Hey, he, he hasn't been back in five minutes. You guys want to like make a calf out of gold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? Sure. Alright. Alright. It's just so stupid. <laughs> I can't even believe that. Do you have any other thoughts to add to the Old Testament, New Testament um, combination? Or did you get your two pieces in with Curtis's? I got my two pieces in. Yeah. One uh, thing I saw is more of the kind of the promise of the kingdom. If you look at OT, oh, OT, Old Testament, so that's my shorthand Ooh. notes, is OT and NT. <laughs> it's got to save you a lot of time. Uh, yeah, well, it does writing. <laughs> uh, not right now, though. Not right now. Not <laughs> explain it or Yeah. <laughs> the Old Testament is that uh, the promise is, is land. It's the promised land that they're always trying to go for. The land is tied to the law. And so God says, if you follow my laws, then you will get this promised land, this land of milk and honey, and this great place to be in. Um, the New Testament is very focused on God's kingdom itself, not just the land that it may be upon. Um, the kingdom is tied to Jesus. And so Jesus brings the kingdom as he enters his ministry, this ability to enter into the kingdom. So for the Old Testament, it's saying, follow these laws and you can enter this land that I've set apart for you. Whereas the New Testament, Jesus says, just believe that I've done your sacrifice and follow me mm-hmm. and you can enter my kingdom that's internal. It's not this physical land that's going to wear away. As we see now, that kind of promised area land is just filled with war and all this. Um, but it's a internal kingdom that we have eternal life and there's p- internal peace, eternal just good things for eternity. Okay, that's good. Um, and like Jesus says, my yoke is light. We don't have to follow these strict mm-hmm. laws for everything. We just have to believe that we are unable to follow these laws and so thank God that God could follow these laws so that we could live in his kingdom. Now, We've been throwing around the word kingdom very much, very much, very lot, a lot. We've been throwing around the word kingdom a lot. So what is the significance of the word kingdom in the kingdom of God? Why is it called the kingdom of God and not the area of God or just straight heaven? Why is it a kingdom? Well, just thinking about it, a kingdom sounds powerful. Hmm. A kingdom implies that there's a lot of different parts to it and it's, it's massive. Like when I think of a castle, I think of a kingdom. 
And that's just a huge thing to look at. So when you're trying to put God in perspective by saying that he has a kingdom rather than God has like a house, a house is pretty big, but a kingdom is huge. So it just, in my mind, it just helps relate better to the idea that God is big mm. and that everything he is is big. Curtis? I think it gives us, like, one of my main focuses has always been on the family of God, God being father and 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 on the body as Jesus being the head and and we're the we're his body living sort of functioning as he directs us to and and so the kingdom of I've I've actually sort of wrestled with why this is important for me but it's a really but it's a really good way to look at Christ, or Christian faith because one it establishes Jesus not just as just as not just as a, a brother or or as a um, or as like a head of head of the church, it establishes him as a king, which gives him much more authority in my mind, and and it also takes the emphasis just off savior, which is where people usually end up when they talk about him as as um, in a family sense, because he his death allows us to well, be welcomed into the family, but also welcomes us into the kingdom of God, which which is where he rules and reigns, and so, um, yeah, and then, so with him ruling and reigning comes us, this emphasis on us doing his will and following his will, and, and following his example as the king who came to earth and, and served and lived the, lived the perfect life, and then willing to sacrifice himself for us, and yet is ruling and reigning right now, and it also gives us the perspective, helps us realize that there's a spiritual battle going on. When you talk about a kingdom, you realize there's something there's something opposing it usually when you talk about a kingdom. There's usually not just a kingdom by itself that just happens to be doing really well. There's always something else that's yeah. trying to take it down, that's trying to overcome it. And so we it with it comes the reality that we're up in against we're in a war. Mm -hmm. And so we can't just take our positions as Christians lightly. We can't just casually go through life just relying on Jesus to save us. We actually have to take a role in, in this in this war that's going on in this mm -hmm. against Satan and his demons, pretty much, and the way they're influencing the culture and influencing and trying to attack our lives and trying to sort of work attack the people and 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 um, spread lies and deceit and stuff around. And finally, it puts an emphasis on discipleship because. When in a family sense, you can just sort of be family and be yourself, and people, you just, like, no one really tries, like, when I'm having family reunion or something, we're not trying to teach each other how to be family, we just we just are, mm -hmm. but in a kingdom sense, I actually, I need, need someone who's understands things better than me to train mm -hmm. me to live in a kingdom life properly, and I need to be training other people to live the kingdom life properly, so, mm -hmm. it really, with that in mind, it really is actually very helpful to... <laughs> Approach things from a kingdom-minded perspective. Mm -hmm. well, I like what you said about the kingdom meaning that there's a war going on. It also makes me think, when you read a story about a kingdom at war, everybody in the kingdom has a purpose and a place. And I think that relates to the idea that in God's kingdom, we all do have a purpose and a place. Everybody's got to be doing something. Everybody has their strengths. Everybody has their weaknesses. We have a spot where we're supposed to be in that kingdom, in that battle. And it's a really... I like that. I'm going to use that again. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to expand on that. Like my my focus was very much on the fact that there, the fact that there's a kingdom means there's a king, mm. and 
uh, the term kingdom of God means that God is the king, or Jesus is the king in this sense. And so if you look at a kingdom, a kingdom follows the will of its king. So if you have a king that desires war, then the kingdom's going to war. If you have a king that desires the people's food, then the people of that kingdom are going to give the king their food. Uh, they don't really have a choice in the matter. And so you look at First um, Samuel 8 when Israel decides that they don't want uh, a surrogate leader of God coming through a prophet and speaking to him being the ruler, but they want a king. And God warns them of this very, this very fact in uh, 8, 4 to 22. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came, to, and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Those have to do. What? You're old and your sons are not walking your <laughs> yeah. way, so get us a king. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the thing displeased Samuel when they, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from, the king of, from being king over them, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told them all, told all that, told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, "These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint to for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow the ground and reap his harvest." and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers to his servants, and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. The Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may be like all the other nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. And so they decided, God's will is not good enough for us. Um, we want the will of a man, who's even worse. <laughs> so they had Saul, and yeah, Saul, Saul just does a terrible job of being king. Why? Because he's not God. And so the fact that Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God has come near, it means God's ready to take the reins again. God's ready to be king. And you've had these years and years, you see all through the king's books and chronicles books of just it's terrible king and terrible king and terrible king and good king and terrible king and terrible king and all the good kings are because they're kings that were following God's will so they were acting like the normal prophets of the old used to be and just listening to God's will and doing it but there was far more terrible kings than good kings you just read horrible stories of what these kings are doing so you spent years of doing this but now I'm telling you that God's ready to take back over his king and 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 lead you again. And so that's an amazing thing about the kingdom. So Jesus touches on the, the fact that the kingdom of God is within you. Um, 
And it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? According to Matthew 6.31. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? God simply promises to fulfill our physical needs if we put him first in our lives. He gives us more than we can imagine or ask for. As you put him, his will, and his work first in your daily life, you will begin to fully experience God's love and care. For he has promised to provide you all your daily needs. For me, that's my final thought. Perfect. Kingdom of God is in us. Yeah, I like that. The fact that um, one thing I always say, I've preached on Kingdom of God. Actually, both times I've actually legitimately preached. <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> Kingdom of God. Uh, so, um, one thing I said, or one of the things I said of both of them was like, sometimes words just become words. So we hear like, Jesus died for us. And we're like, all right, awesome. Jesus died for us. But we don't think like all the things that that entails, the fact mm -hmm. that Jesus died for us and being crucified, and then I go into all the details of the crucifixion and stuff Ooh, like this. Yeah, but, uh, I, and then I say, well, that's the same with the kingdom of God. We think, kingdom of God, and it's like, awesome, okay, that's, that will come someday. Not the fact that Jesus said it's come near. That's that already can, here. That we can obtain it. Um, and just what everything, the kingdom of God, what that, entails for us that he's providing for us we don't have to worry about our needs he's going to feed us he's going to clothe us give us everything we need mm -hmm. uh it says that he'll wipe every tear away from your eye there'll be more no more death no more sickness and, and all these good things restored to god the fact that we don't have to hear about god through other people that we can just come straight to god mm -hmm. and talk to him and that could be today. We don't have to wait till the end of our lives when we're before Him yeah. in the kingdom of heaven. And these are all things that if we're following His will, it's near. We can mm -hmm. catch glimpses of the kingdom now. And that we should be excited every time we hear the kingdom of God. And that every time we hear the crucifixion of Jesus, we should be just grateful. And like just super grateful to the point of dropping to our knees in prayer and thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Because these are both super powerful terms that just become words to us. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my... Final thought in there. Hmm. I don't know if courtesy you have anything I don't know. You know what? That's that's great. That's great. Yeah. That, that's no. I like that. So. Well, listeners, stay tuned to the next segments of the Kingdom of God and discussing all that that entails. Thank you for listening today, and we will catch you when we are on next. I'm Wade Holmes here with Curtis Burstick and Mike. Wade just took over my ending. I really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. This is last time. Check out the blog. Check out iTunes. Also, Mike's getting married. I'm getting married, so we'll see you later. I'll be married next time we record. I'm the best man next time you record. <laughs> see you guys.